You're listening to episode 38 of the ESL Teaching Podcast. It has been a while since I've done an interview, so when I was planning out my mini-series about teaching English learners in mixed proficiency classes, I immediately thought of my friend and colleague Hillary. We share a couple of students this year, and I was curious, how does she plan for her language arts classes with EL students in mind, and how does she manage her classroom? After all, a regular education classroom is also a very mixed proficiency classroom where you have not only native speakers, but also those who need more varied support as well as are at various stages of learning English. So classroom management is a huge thing when you have mixed proficiency level classes, whether they are in regular education or in an ELL setting. Hillary Woods is a seventh grade English teacher at a middle school in New Hampshire. She has taught fourth through eighth grades and has strongly embraced the use of responsive classroom techniques since she started her first position. Hillary is known among her colleagues as an educator who creates a calm, safe learning environment that allows students to feel seen and valued for who they are. In her spare time, Hillary enjoys line dancing, domestic and foreign travel, relaxation time with friends and family, and reading for pleasure. I had such a blast speaking with Hillary. She shares about how she scaffolds for English learners in her classroom. A lot of it is intuitive and a lot of it is so sweet. She talks about her lesson planning process. She is super organized. And also she shares about how she utilizes her training in responsive classroom to create a calm, nurturing, and yet structured environment. She tells us about a fantastic teaching idea and resource, which I will link in the show notes. It is so fun and your students are going to love it. So it was such a great interview and I know it will be super useful for you as well. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the ESL Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Yeva Grossless, otherwise known as Simply Yeva, and I am so thankful that you tuned in. I'm looking forward to sharing both my knowledge and experience on this podcast, as well as that of my fellow teachers. Welcome, Hillary. So glad to have you on the ESL Teaching Podcast. Um, Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm excited to, to get to spend some time with you and, and talk, talk education. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Hillary is my colleague and she's a language arts teacher. We work in the same school and this year specifically we share a few students and uh, what a perfect time to talk about, you know, English learners in the mainstream classroom, English learners in mixed proficiency classroom, and in general about how do we navigate this whole thing. So I'm going to kick it off with a question that I ask uh, all of my guests. So a little bit of your backstory. How did you decide to become a teacher? Um, 
So actually, when I was in middle school, I had wanted to be a child psychologist. So I was not on track to become an educator. Um, but as I got into college and into my undergrad, um, I happened to have a practicum where I went into a readiness classroom and I got to spend uh, half a day there. And I found myself leaving at lunchtime wanting to go back. So I would ask the educator if I could return. And she, of course, was gracious enough to let me come back after lunch. And so I'd spend the full day there, even though I was required to only be there about four hours a week. Um, and so that was really the, the, the kickoff for me deciding to be in education. Um, and I was pretty sure I wanted to just be with elementary folks because that was my as like readiness is so sweet and they're lovely. And I love that I get to help and, you know, manage their language and help them grow and get to see all their aha moments. And so that's really what kicked me into education. And now here I am, gosh, this is year 16. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you wanted to work with the younger ones, right? But uh, how, what grades? So I know you've worked with several grade levels, right? What grade levels do you work with and which one maybe is your favorite, I guess? Yes. Um, so uh, let me answer the the hard, the easy question first. All of them are my favorite for different reasons. So I'll start there and say all of them for a variety of reasons. Um, but I have worked with fourth, sixth, eighth, and now seventh. And um, all of them have different characteristics that are fun and unique. And, um, you know, seventh grade is a time of super great uh, personal development. And so watching students grow has been a, a joy for the last, gosh, eight, nine years. So very cool. So uh, one of my next questions is, uh, which I know the answer to. So <laughs> we already know that you have English learners in your English language arts, seventh grade classes. And um, I want to know, how do you navigate that? Because just before we hit record on this podcast, we talked about that mixed proficiency level classrooms, mixed ability level classrooms are not unique to uh, the English learner profile, you know, English learner teachers, um, but, you know, there are some unique aspects. So how do you navigate uh, the fact that you have, let's say, three English learners in uh, your classes? Yeah, so um Interestingly enough, I think there's a lot of similarities to getting to know my English language learners um, that are similar to my typical education learners, right? The, the folks that have been in, in the States for a while. Um, and I find that finding ways to communicate effectively and get to know the person and have that student know that I want to know about them are the main components of, of starting out any school year. So whether, regardless of their profile, every student I want to get to know for who they are, um, mm -hmm. what they bring to the table, not just academically, but within their own being. Absolutely. This is, and this is the topic that I constantly talk about. Um, I had the virtual summit in the summer um, and uh, one of the, the first day was connect. And to me, this is such, such an important thing. And I'm glad that, you know, everybody acknowledges it. And this is like, you know, we all get caught up in the, you know, curriculum teaching and the activities and the lesson planning and all that. But like you said, looking into the students uh, and seeing the human beings uh, in them, you know, is a, is a huge thing. So 
How do you plan? Like, let's give, give us some examples. Like, how do you plan for a lesson? Let's say that, uh, you know, you have to deliver a lesson. And here we have a kid who smiles all the time, but pretty much, you know, we can tell he's at the beginning stages um, or another kid who thinks he knows it all, but, you know, we also, uh, so how do you plan for that? Uh, how do you deliver it in the classroom? I, I know we talked a, a few examples that were like, wow. <laughs> so I feel like a lot of them are intuitive when you aren't in the throes of the classroom, right? So they're intuitive when you are at home planning or when you are during your planning time or when you're thinking about how to connect with humans. Um, and so all of my lessons start off um, with a way to connect. So no matter what we're doing in the classroom, uh, the first few minutes I ask students to complete a, um, a check-in that tells me, how are you feeling about class today? Do you have any questions? How are you feeling about life today? Um, is there anything else you want me to know? Just to give them a chance to um, tell me about them. Um, and that for the folks that we share, um, they're able to uh, translate the questions from that Google form using Google Translate. And I recognize it's not perfect, mm -hmm. but it's good enough that they can answer the question and I still get to get a sense of where they are for that day. Um, so that's every day just to make sure that I know what's going on. Um, and then we found that, um, like, I think we, we were talking the other day about, um, I had a writing lesson, right? And I have a lot of different level learners in my room. I have folks who have 504s. I have ind individual education plans. I have folks who are English learners. So there's a lot of needs in any given room, right? That's not specific to me. And so um, as we were doing our writing lesson, I would pose the question. And as we posed the question, I actually typed it up for um, the students who needed translation. So I typed it in on Google uh, Translate and had that projected. So students could see, even my typical education students could see my question in writing and the folks who are English learners were able to know that same question in their own language. Um, and so I think a lot of those little things are the things that I just put into my plan now. It's just what it's just part of the practice. It's part of how I just do our classroom. And I think um, another thing, another, you know, another effect of this is that um, it expands all students' minds. You know, it the students then can see, huh. Like I look at the text, you know, whatever language it is in, I can see English, but I have no idea what the other thing, I mean, you know, like if I saw it, it kind of like helps people expand, helps people see that it's, it's all right, you know, um, and then we're all learning and that we're all like, it's a growth mindset that we can, you know, all be different, but we can do the same thing in the way that works for us. So that is so huge. And it's also an example of how a little thing uh, does so much. So um, for all of you thinking that you have to do uh, all the big things all the time, um, I just wanted to calm you down a little bit and I'm calming myself down that I don't have to do all the things, uh, just a little thing. Um, as an example, um, Hillary and I were talking last week and I said, I can't, um, I, I need some classroom management tips. She only said one word in a text message and that made my entire day. She said routines and I'm like, like, how come I didn't think of that? So it's one thing. 
another day, another teacher said, did you know you can drag your Google Classrooms, you know, because I'm in 50 Google Classrooms because I'm helping all the students, right? Uh, did you know that you can drag your most important Google Classrooms to the top? Again, a little thing made my day. So it's the same for the students, right? And it's the same for you, you know, a little tweak here and there. And uh, that is such a huge impact. Yeah. I think one of the things that I found most incredible is that we are very early into the school year. Yes. And my students have started using Google Translate with my the students we share. So they're seeing it modeled that like, I may not know exactly how to speak your language and you may not know exactly what I'm saying in English, but we can figure out how to make yep. sure that we're connected at some level. Um, so even student to student, they're starting to use that. I mean, what, we're 10 days into the school year and they're yeah, already right? using that same. <laughs> and the thing is, is that the Google Translate is not going to be necessary all year long. It's right. just to make the connection. It's just to kind of like make sure the student knows where it's going. And for the kids, you know, uh, they will be witnessing those students' journey and how much they're going to be able to speak in a month and how much they're going to be able to contribute to the classroom. And it will be as if the entire class's victory uh, because they all were a part of it. Yeah, it's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's see. Um, I have several other questions yeah. and I'm trying to decide which one to ask. First, so um, we kind of like, um, let's just go in order, okay? So let's think, it, when when you filled out a questionnaire, as all my guests, um, I asked them some questions, uh, you mentioned responsive classroom. And can you talk a little bit about what it is, uh, you know, why and how to use it in the classroom? I know you've done tons of work, so uh, share with us. Yes. So the um, short elevator speech, because I could go on for literally days about responsive classroom, but we'll keep it brief. Um, so really responsive classroom is um, has been around for over 40 years. And it's the idea of being student centered while focusing on the social and emotional learning needs um, intertwined with the academics that we have to teach our students in order to teach um, to the student as well as teaching the discipline of being a student and how to participate in communities, whether that's small communities or not. <laughs> um, it is, uh, the goal really is to have a safe, joyful, engaging and predictable classroom so that students feel excited, but also know what's coming. Um, especially in, in the middle school level, students desperately need to know what's happening in order to feel comfortable, but they also want to for things to be like worth their while and engaging. So it's Absolutely. the both and, um, and Responsive Classroom has tons of workshops and books and trainings and all of that, but that's kind of the, the responsive classroom approach in a nutshell. I just love that so much. You know, the, the academics and social emotional learning, and I think we all need that. Um, it also helps the teachers create boundaries for themselves. It teaches the kids boundaries and all of the other things that we're talking about. 
So now that we kind of have a clue of what responsive classroom is, what do we do with it? Okay. <laughs> so how do we, you know, use it in the classroom? How do we set up? Maybe you can give some examples, maybe, you know, like at the start of the year, maybe like going through the year, because I think the needs of classroom management and in general, I, I equate it to like water. It's always flowing. It's never the same for those people who think that it's always the same thing at school. It, I, they probably, I don't know. It's not the same. So uh, how does it work? Yeah. Um, so the beginning of the year is a lot about training where the water goes. Okay. Um, so, um, so it looks like um, me actually modeling what it looks like to turn in a piece of paper. Um, it looks like me showing step-by-step step how to come into the room, look at the board, get started on the warm-up work and note the time that they have left to use the restroom and fill up the water bottles. So what I find is really helpful about responsive classroom is that um, when when they're looking to start the year, they have a couple books, uh, one for middle school and one for elementary, both about the first few weeks of the school year. Like, so how do you do this with anybody? And um, what I found is that at the beginning of the school year, I do a lot of very concrete directives for how to do things um, so that whether you understand all of the language that's coming out of my mouth or not, you can 100% see what I'm doing, right? So if I'm modeling, I will put in Google Translate, I'm going to model how to turn in a physical document. Mm -hmm. And the very first step of that modeling is watch me do it. Yeah. And notice every step. Yeah. And then we talk about what did we do, right? Like what exactly did I do? And students will tell me all the things. And so those are the places for me to start out building um, a, a good foundation for what's expected um, so that nobody is surprised when I say turn in a piece of paper. Nobody looks around like, what? Do you, what? How do I do that? Um, mm -hmm. Because we've actually seen it, practiced it and gotten feedback on it. Um, as the school year progresses, a lot of the things that... Um, that I use is actually a lot of reminders because I have modeled it. So I can say things like, remember at the beginning of the school year when we practiced that? Can you just show me one more time what that looks like? And so we'll have one person practice to remind ourselves what it might look like and then move forward. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems to help not only uh, English language learners, but all students in knowing the expectations and forming those boundaries for what this classroom is supposed to be like. Absolutely. Now, how much time do you spend on one uh, one expectation? For example, like, um, so like, how does it look like, let's say you want the students to uh, turn in their papers in a certain place at a certain time in a certain way, right? So like, do you do it every day? Or do you do it like, you know, for like three days a week, one day, and then just keep going back? Do you Im embed it in your um, you know, assignments and so on? The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> All of those things. Um, so the very first time around, I will show it exactly. It takes probably about five minutes to yeah. actually model it. And then I'll have another student do the exact same thing so we can watch what it looks like in a student example. And then I'll have small groups go up with them getting feedback um, pretty regularly. Like, hey, I noticed you did exactly the same thing. Oh, awesome. Well done on highlighting your name exactly the way you'd seen it. Like, like reminding of all the, yeah. the actions that they did that were effective. 
And then every time that there's a homework assignment that comes due or a paper's being turned in or something like that, then we'll have a quick reminder of what were the steps again? Can you remind me what's step one? What are you gonna do after that? What happens then? Okay, go ahead and try it out. And so I do pay attention even as students are passing work in to make sure that if something is missed, I note it pretty quickly mm -hmm. to try and undo any uh, routine problems. Yeah, yeah. I totally like that. Uh, that makes sense because I, um, I I also like the fact that it's like modeling. So like for English learners, it's like a, a very meaningful thing. It's not an isolated, you know, I tell you what to do. You know, it's kind of like involving and a very good practice lesson. I'll tell you this first, second, third. It, these are the words that are not easy. OK, but it also goes, you know, they're so transferable. So this is such a great uh, way. And I think. Um, I think uh, when we talked last week and I said, oh, my gosh, I, I never had any uh, classroom management issues until this year. And I felt like, you know, fish out of the water. Like, what do you do? And most of my classes are um, at the high school, but I have, you know, a group of seventh graders. And uh, one of them is specifically a very charming kid who takes up a lot of attention. So uh, how, how do you navigate that? So the fact that you're saying, let's say, do, and I had to ask myself. Do they know? Do they know? Okay. Um, and that that's what I ask with English learners. Like, I wonder if they know. I wonder why they keep doing that. Like, did I not tell them? All right, let's backtrack. So getting started at the very beginning uh, of how you're setting up your classroom on how you manage your classroom and how you include the students is uh, much more uh, a time well invested, I think, right? It's, it takes a little bit longer, uh, but the rewards are, you know, like a calmer you and the more organized organized school year. Yes. And a safer place for all kids. Absolutely. Levels the playing field. Everyone knows what it looks like. So there's no, like, nobody's feeling like, wait, how is it you knew that when I don't know that? Everyone knows because everyone got to see the same thing. Absolutely. And also one more comment. It's a uh, builds responsibility, self, um, res you know, like responsibility, because um, I had a conversation with a student uh, yesterday and I said, like, what what makes you do the work and what helps you do the work? And uh, he said something like my parents lecture. And I said, you know, you're like in 10th grade. Um, do you think it's about time to kind of like <laughs> start taking responsibility. So that was the one thing that, you know, like if we start earlier um, and if we kind of like show them, you know, and include them, I think that's, uh, that's one of the better ways to do it. Right. It certainly helps. <laughs> so what does lesson planning look like for you? Uh, like, do you, so you probably have a set planning uh, period. Uh, do you plan on the go? Do you plan right after class? Um, like, how does it look like? I think a lot of teachers, whether uh, regular classroom teachers or EL teachers, are always curious about how that works for different people. So share away. Yeah, so... Um... <laughs> I typically plan, and this is going to sound strange, but I typically plan on Thursday for the following week. Okay. Uh, I can be about a one week ahead. I can't be more than that because I want to make sure I'm responsive to students, mm -hmm. but I can adjust within a week for if I need more time here or there, I can make those adjustments on the go. Um, so I think it's a bit of all of the above. I do respond to if students need more time with a topic or something like that, then I might come back to it the next day, even though I hadn't originally planned it the prior Thursday. Um, but I do typically plan on a Thursday so that I can make my copies if, if I need any on Friday. 
Mm -hmm. I also make it so that my Google Classroom materials are typically there by Friday so that I can leave for the weekend and breathe and know that everything is pretty much set up. Yeah. Um, so that is super helpful. Um, and I have kind of a, a format for my planning. So I kind of go through and decide the topics and then how I want students to be able to engage with each other mm -hmm. while they're doing that topic. So are they going to be in partner chats? Or are they going to be in groups? Are they going to be taking sides of the room? Are they going to like, how is that going to engage them? Because yeah. um, I may do a little bit of direct instruction, but I do a lot of pairs or partners or people talking to each other um, to make that information um, relevant because students have their own language. Yeah. And when they talk to each other, it usually sticks a little bit better than when I just talk about it. <laughs> yeah. It's also um, yeah. Um, I also typically include some sort of model. So there's some sort of me taking the note or me drawing it out so that there's a visual um, for everybody. So those are like some pieces and parts that are always part of a lesson for me. Yeah, I really like that because um, I know a lot of English learners are apprehensive about group work and about pair work for very, you know, normal reasons like if I can't understand and I'm required to perform I'm just going to shut down I did witness um, it was at the high school and uh, I had an English learner who was actually uh, at an intermediate level um, but the group work uh, was uh, first of all they were talking about um, some sort of either philosophers or scientists of like the 18th century and each had to like take a aside or something that and the and the students knew the, the information she could not butt in because it was like back and forth back and forth back and forth and she just froze up so um, I think when the students at an earlier age they're, they're taught uh, how to it's okay maybe to listen at first right and just see what others are saying it's okay to not be able to pronounce the names of scientists or philosophers or authors right <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, you know, kind of like giving them permission to just be and observe and uh, um, kind of like, uh, know that you will be heard, and know that you are valued. Um, that is the, the one thing that works, you know, not only for English learners, but for all kids, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love your lesson planning. I know you're so organized and um, I dream of being that organized. So that's why I'm asking all of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say my Google Drive is a lot more organized than my actual papers. So that's, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so. all right. So you already talked a little bit about how you can adapt lessons to um, English learners. Um, and I think I do like the fact that you pull up... Um, you know, the translate for everyone to see. Are there any other ideas that you've been playing around with? Um, so I've been doing a lot with trying to use um, emojis or um, icons to make it clear where we're moving to. Um, I recognize that like my uh, today's plan. So on my Google Slides that I share with students every day, there is a like a list of things that we're going to do that day. Um, and what I've recognized is that that's a lot of words yes. <laughs> for someone who's not sure of all the words, right? Like, <laughs> um, and so I've been starting to figure out, like, is there an icon that I can use that I can not only use in Google Classroom to identify, like, this is vocabulary, 
but also use it in Google Slides to say, we're working on vocabulary. This is the same icon. This is the same yeah. image. Um, so I'm, I'm still playing with that because there's really no good icon for vocabulary. Nope. nope. <laughs> there's really no great icon for grammar. Like there's just, so I'm trying to find um, a meaningful image or icon that I can use, but it's, it's a little bit tricky because there's not always an, an icon that's great. Yeah, I think actually uh, for vocabulary, you uh, could be some somebody speaking. That's a, there's an icon because uh, we use vocabulary for speaking eventually, right? And mm -hmm. grammar could be writing. It's not accurate, just like you said, but this is a, a great idea. Um, I sometimes I go to pixabay.com. It's free images, and I look for um, images that actually. Um, show certain it's hard to find too yes. uh, but like if you uh you know like words for example uh if you, instead of vocabulary you put like words and you have like an image of you know uh whatever they have that that sometimes works but even like uh people don't know what words are so <laughs> right. right so it's a it's a trick it's just a tricky thing but i think it's also like it's an important thing. So it's important. Worth and I think it's, it's overall, it's such a great idea. So I feel like maybe we should invent some of the uh, emoticons um, yes. to convey the messages that are specifically for language teachers, right? Yes, that would be so helpful. And like be able to use them anywhere so that everybody has a similar, like no matter what school you're in or what district or what grade, like that would be incredible if there was some I image. Feel the ideas coming to my head. Oh, I know. <laughs> so, what lessons have you taught that worked uh, well and were enjoyed by all students? What is the one lesson uh, or two? I don't know, like units, something that the students keep asking. Oh, remember when we did this? Or everybody enjoyed it? Like, could you share a topic and maybe walk us through the steps how you achieved that? Yeah, so um, I actually pulled this, and of course, I'm going to forget where I pulled it from. Um, oof. It was an emoji paragraph. Oh. <laughs> so speaking of pictures, right? Like it was, um, and it, I'm sure that it's going to, like who created it is going to come to my mind once we've ended our call. But um, anyways. So I can't take credit for designing the actual uh, lesson because it was something that I found. Um, and it was essentially to use emojis for each of the five-ish sentences in a paragraph. So there is a random emoji generator out there on the interspace. And um, when you go into that random emoji uh, generator, you pull up the first one and they make a, a claim about that first emoji. So maybe it's a whale. And so you're going to say like, you know, um, whales have a variety of purposes in life, like who knows. Okay. And then the next icon is again, random. So it's not, it's not predicted it is random and they use that sent that icon to create the first reason why that claim statement is true oh and my then god they, it is it is hilarious and so much fun um and because it doesn't like it doesn't have a grade associated to it it's more to get the clarifier of what's in a paragraph before we start writing and so it was super fun 
And um, I haven't done it with this year's students, but last year's students were like, when are we going to do that again? Can we do that again? Because oh it was just playful and yes. it was still writing. <laughs> you know what? This is such a great idea. Such a, I have uh, for my intermediate students who are able to write and who, you know, like can make sentences and everything. Uh, most of them don't know. Uh, well, not they don't know what a paragraph is, but either need a, a teaching of what the parts of a paragraph are b- before they can a- move into like the essay, right? Yes. Or, you know, a refresher. And yes. also they keep coming back to me, Mrs. G, what is a claim, right? And what is evidence? So this would work amazingly for those kids who, and even for those who are beginners, I feel like, you know, they can just write one word, you know, uh, answers or make lists or something like that. This is, if you have a source. I Googleified it. (laughs) it. From Edu Protocols. Edu Protocols. I'm going to find it for all of you and I'm going to link it in the show notes so that, um, you know, it doesn't go to waste. But if you have ever tried my uh, paragraph teaching, uh, this would be the next step to uh, kind of like reinforcing the paragraph. And I'm already thinking about how I'm going to use it with my high schoolers. So thank you so much. (laughs) My pleasure. Yeah. So, okay. In your opinion, how can all teachers set up their classrooms for success? Oh, oh. So I think it depends on what you think success looks like. So for me, success looks like students engaged and participating. Um, it looks like uh, students conversing with each other. It looks like um, having all the materials ready. Um, And so those would be like characteristics of success for me. And so in my opinion, um, having at least partnerships set up at the very beginning, or if you're going to do group work, having it set so that students know who their partner will be if they have to partner chat. Um, And so maybe it is the person across from you is your number one partner and the person next to you is your number two partner and the person behind you is your number three partner right like so that no matter what happens nobody has to try and find a friend as a partner yes this is so so (laughs) that to me is the way to kick off making sure that there's success because everything else is doable but if a student feels like they're not included or not wanted um then it gets real hard to want to be in a classroom and participate. So I think that's the first step, in my opinion, to building success. I love that. And I also like that, you know, you know, you kind of like, you know, say that we all have to define what success is for us. This is the, one of the questions I actually asked my high schoolers as an uh, do now activity. What is success? What does success mean to you? And, you know, developmentally, some kids are, you know, spewing out what's told to them. And some people have had uh, an opportunity to think about it. Uh, But we, um, what I have to uh, grapple a lot with is the students uh, 
saying, oh, I did bad or I'm failing or, and I, I just don't see it that way. Maybe I'm, I have like a pink glasses or something, but I don't think so. And I, you know, so that, that those conversations, everything is bad. Everything is wrong. I'm stupid brought me, you know, to this, like, what is success to you? What is success to you as a teacher? What is success to you as a student? And uh, this is such a, such a great way, you know, to frame the entire, the entire classroom and the entire school year. Agreed. <laughs> well, Hillary, this has been a pleasure and I feel so inspired after our conversation. I hope our listeners, if anything you take away, whatever, from responsive classroom to kind of like making simple tweaks to, uh, you know, teaching English learners wherever you are to this fantastic emoji paragraph. I am going there. You know, so are there any other thoughts or ideas or comments that you'd like to share before we leave here? I think um, the only other thing that I, I don't think we've touched upon is to really enjoy these students and their process, Absolutely. regardless of whether they are English level learner, English learners or whether they are your traditional uh, classroom learners, but enjoying the process makes this worthwhile. Absolutely. Um, if it's miserable <laughs> in the process, then it's going to be a miserable time. So I think that for me is the thing that um, to take away, um, even after a few, you know, tricky years, I think it's important to just appreciate where we are now, who we have in front of us and the journey that they're on. Amen. <laughs> thank you so much for having me <laughs> thank you so much Hillary and uh, thank you all for listening and until next time bye <laughs>